It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Blog Talk Radio. Tantalizing turnoffs. Welcome to Paranormal Now. I'm your host, Alan B. Smith, and I am more than stoked for tonight's guest, Mike McCaskill, ghost hunter and haunted house investigator with some serious skill. Um, it's been a while since we stepped into the spooky upside down, um, so stay with me. Mike is coming right up. In just half an hour, we are bringing back the Geek Sessions, and we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, so if you want to call in and speak to either of our guests and our solo panel tonight, you can call 657-383-0829 to ask your questions or just sound off. Um, as a friendly reminder, please follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormalnowradio, and on Instagram at paranormalnow. Thank you all for joining us again on the live program. Um, we were once a podcast, and here we are doing live radio. Um, the numbers are growing little by little, so thank you for your continued support. Please share our uh, posts. Please share our social media sites. Follow us if you can. Um, and that's it. All right, so Mike McCaskill has an impeccable reputation as a medium. He has been practicing since an early age when he started developing his ho- ghost hunting skills and eventually honing his natural abilities with technology in an attempt to bridge the paranormal with scientific research methods. Um, and I, uh, I've been trying to get Mike on the show for about three years now, originally when I was on Epic Voyages Radio. And, um, you know, I became familiar with Mike because of our mutual friendship with Ken Cherry, who founded Epic Voyagers, um, uh, I guess about eight years ago. I might be wrong, Mike. You might want to correct me on that. But Mike was a part of the original investigation team. And um, Ken couldn't speak more highly of Mike. So finally, you're here, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah, great. Well, let me let me start off with this. Um, what is your definition of a ghost? Uh, well, my definition of a ghost. Um, in the years that I've been doing this, I try to I try to stay away from labels per se, and, and the reason I say that is is that there's so much. 
about, again, here we go, labels, about what we're going to put this in quotations and say the other side, something that's happening in a world that the human eye cannot see and most of the time the human eye can't hear, that we on this side of it, I think there's just a vast amount of information over there we just haven't tapped into yet or to understand entirely. So with that said, if I'm going to try to define a ghost, a ghost is going to be something that isn't physical but yet sentient uh, for mm-hmm. the most part. We run into this all the time that there seems to be uh, spirits all around us, some in more places than in others. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time it seems as if there's no communication, you know, bridging that gap between what our reality is and what theirs is. Um, and sometimes they do. And that's where we get that definition from. So I would say my definition of a ghost is that. It is is spirits as a whole, whether it be human or something else. So is, what is the difference between a spirit and a ghost, or, or do you not um, discern a difference? Um, I haven't used the actual term ghost in quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. I would think that the general rule of thumb, if somebody were to say a ghost, I would like to say if you were to ask ten people that question, eight or nine of those are going to tell you, well, a ghost is someone who lived before they died, and now they are a spirit. Um in wherever that spirit may be by the definition of either the way that person learned it or, you know, there's a religious preference involved in that sort of thing. Um, but from a more personal – oh, well, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. I think spirits – I think spirits encompass all things that exist that we can't see that fall under that that realm, if you will, for the lack of a better term – um, and ghosts are more of a label inside that encompassing dictionary, so to speak. You follow what I'm getting okay. at? Does that does that make sense? I, yeah, I think I think it's like a subcategory almost. Um, so, but from a personal point of view, you know, what was the first encounter that you had with with something that you said to yourself, "This is a a ghost." Well, it starts with the very first thing I ever seen that in some ways, no, not in some ways, I would like to say in all ways, changed my mm-hmm. entire thinking about waking up every morning. And, and, and with that said, I was about, I haven't actually done the dates here, and I never have, and I don't know why, but it's just to throw it out there just to do the dates. This is the first time I've done this in quite some time. Um, I'm 38 years old. I was born in August of 1979. Um, hmm. I we're the same age. Just a month behind you, Mike. Really? All right. Yep. Um, I have a father, and and my parents. My, my father particularly worked in the construction business, uh, mm-hmm. particularly chemical plants and this and that. And he was an equipment operator. So these chemical plants, he was involved with the companies that did the shutting down of those or rebuilding those. Um, so what that means is is that quite often those jobs were temporary. His job, his career in it wasn't, but each individual job would get finished and it would cause him to have to move along to another. Mm-hmm. So like in any construction business along mixed with 
energy production, um, anybody that's in that field understands that it's ever constant mobile. So we move from town to town, state to state, uh, really between six and nine months at a time. So we'd be there six months, eight months, nine months, and then we'd move. You know, with that said, my life consisted of from kindergarten to 12th grade, I went to 16 different schools um, across four states. But uh, so with that said, to understand that background, we had to move a lot. And there's this one particular move that I want to get into. And that particular move is moving from uh, a little town, Savannah, Georgia, to where my dad's new job was in a place called Baytown, Texas. Um, generally what happened in that scenario is, is my mom would get working on these before the actual move happened because he would know and she could make a plan. And she would generally have us a place to stay. You know, obviously they never bought a house or anything. They're never going to be there. So she would find a rental. She would find all these types of things. That way it would make the move seamless. Um, this isn't, it didn't happen this time. She had very much trouble trying to locate something to do. So they thought, well, we'll just wing it. Well, halfway there, um, my mom had a sister, and her, and she lived in a little town called Florence, Mississippi, which is just outside of Jackson. Um, and she asked her sister to look after her two boys, uh, me and my older brother. Um, this would have been, I'm going to say late summer of 1989, maybe 1990. So there's my age, 10 or 11. Um and she lived in a small Victorian house, and the house just felt weird to me from the word go, and I didn't know why. Um, we were there approximately six, eight days or so, and I woke up one morning having to go to the restroom. And if anybody's ever lived in these type of Victorian houses, you know, they didn't have a bathroom in them when they were built. They had to install one, and it was generally just one, and it was at the end of the hallway. I woke up that night. I couldn't tell you what time of the night it was. i tell you that it was late. I would assume somewhere between 1 and possibly 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, had to go to the bathroom, so I got up, walked out of the room. You know, this old house had a one single hallway right through it. And, you know, I called it the Stephen King hallway because when you were a kid, it was just creepy. You know, the, mm. the slight ambiance of light, old. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. House, creaky floorboards. Um, yeah. But this was interesting because I turned the corner, and in front of that bathroom door was a man. And he was wearing some sort of uniform. Now, as I've become an adult revisiting this several times, I have, I have determined that he was a Civil War soldier. He was Confederate, and he was an officer because of the sword and just details. Um, well, I know, I know memory can get kind of like 
memory can get kind of fuzzy as time goes on. Did you did you write notes of this when you were younger, so that as you got older, it was no, easier no. to reflect? Or no, I can remember this like it was yesterday. Yeah, it made um, that much of an impact. I, I'm sure. This much of an impact. I can, I can, all the knickknack little details, and you're right, I probably should have took notes. No, I never did. Um, all the little details of getting up and going into the hallway and all those kinds of things are gone. Yeah. I just know I did those things. But this particular two or three or four seconds that seemed like two hours in my memory um, will sit with me forever. Um, I'd never seen anything like this before, never had any memory of having an experience like this or feeling anything like it. But I saw him and he was staring at me and I was staring back at him and, uh, and I was in complete utter fear. Um, and then he, he lifted his hands up like to reach out to like a, a like a grown person would reach out to put their hand on the shoulder of someone. Uh, except he did it with both hands. And then he started walking down the hallway at me. Um, and this is when pandemonium happens. Um, I scream, run back in, slide under. Uh, at the time, my, my, my aunt didn't have a lot of room for us, so she put us in her son's room. So, And my, my brother was older than me, so um, my cousin had his bed, and then my brother had another bed, and I was doing the makeshift small mattress in between the two beds. So I slid under that mattress. And I turned around and looked back at the door. You know, it's just like you would think of a kid would in, in a horror movie. I always look back at that and go, man, I acted just that same way. And uh, I turned around and was looking at that door, and, and it occurred to me, oh, my God, I didn't shut the door. For some reason, it was in my mind that because I didn't shut that door that he could actually get me. Um, I don't know why I ever thought in that time that shutting the door would have made any difference at all. But there it was, and the boots came all the way down the hallway. They were definitely hard boom boom on that hardwood floor definite boots so there's like um, a physical interaction almost oh yeah yeah i heard it just clear day all the way to what would be the threshold of that door as in to cross into my line of sight in the door and then you know turn into the room or whatever it is that he was going to do but he never did that i never saw him it's like he stopped right there at that threshold of the door and then turned around and went the other way and it felt like he did that for an hour. Truthfully, it was probably five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And then it just stopped. Um, and, and what, what were I you never, doing the entire, the entire, just observing or? I was under my mattress with my head poked out of it, once staring at that door very attentively, yeah. trying to figure mm-hmm. out what I'm going to do next when he comes in this room to murder me. That's what it felt like, and that's what was in my mind. But he never did. He walked away from the door, and it was like a sigh of relief, and then he would turn and walk back down the hallway, and I would get fearful again. And um, and then it just, the boots stopped. And I remember trying to wake my brother up and saying, you're not going to believe what just happened. And of course, he was half asleep. And um, my brother to this day, he's four and a half years older than me, he's still rem- mostly skeptical of this sort of thing. Um, I don't blame him. Um me and him don't share this same thing. Um, but with that said, you know, he shrugged me off, told me to go back to bed, um, which, you know, there was very little of that happening. Um, and then for the long story short, this presence of being able to feel when something's nearby or see things, man, it just almost, it just never stopped. 
I never did that before, and I've been doing it 30-plus years since, or almost yeah. 30 years. I'm 38, so 20, 28 years, or well, I'm going to try to do the math. But uh, um, Well, you, you don't do this um, – you don't do this, uh, you know, ghost investigations or spirit communion um, as like a full-time career, right? I mean, this is something that you do um, on occasion now. That would um, that would involve to properly answer that would have to really just give you a detail of how I and the small team that I'm with, how we work, how we operate. Um, mm-hmm. But the, 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 the simple answer to that is no, this is not a career. Um, for defining a career as something that you do that supports your life. Um, on a financial Financially, sense, it doesn't right. because I, I don't charge to do this. Um, I, I don't charge to come to people's house and help them with the problem. Um, right. And I have a more compass reason why. Um, whatever this is that happened to me, and to keep it short, I've tested all kinds of theories. I've been through all kinds of places. I've traveled the United States. I've been to most, a lot of the most haunted places in, in America. I've been to uh, Ireland and Scotland, um, done those sorts of things there, hit their places. And earlier in life, it was all creating my own university, so to speak, to to learn what is this thing that I have and why right. – Excuse me. Why do I have it? What gave it to me? What drives it? What's its core? Where does it come from? For me, for no one else, for me. And um, and I and I did that. I think. Um, so with all that said, trying to talk about many many years of this stuff, uh, I have learned that whatever assigned this to me is something of great power that did it, and I feel like that it's something good. Um, if it were something evil, then then I would have known that by now. Some of the places that have been, and the things mm-hmm. that I've done. Um, well, when and, you say when you say assigned, do you mean like um, from high above, or or do you mean that you're sort of like born with this physiological ability, um, and it was sort of built into you by fate, or what's your take on that? Um, I think it's genetic, man. And uh, the reason mm-hmm. why I think it's genetic, I think it's uh, – if we were to treat this, let's just say hypothetically for a second, this ability that I have. You know, I've had some people call it a gift. I have myself have called it a curse because yeah. it has yeah. been so good to me sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I have learned throughout asking many questions throughout a lot of things and talking to other people like me that have kind of done the same thing. We've found this common denominator there's been someone in our family that predates us that did it too. And there's a certain uh, bloodline that it seems to run through. So mm-hmm. if we were going to treat this like an illness, then it's a, it's a genetic disease, um, you know, such as, you know, heart diseases or Alzheimer's, you know, somebody before you had it, then you're more likely to have that because they seem to pass that gene, so to speak. Uh, I don't get too scientific with that because I don't quite understand how to put that into words properly for anybody that might be listening that's a lot smarter than me. Go, what's this guy trying to say? But um, I think I said enough to, to, to get that. That That's what I think. I think it was passed along to me. But at the same time, that particular event unlocked something. Because I don't remember being like this before. And another weird thing about that is is that my life, for some reason, that has eluded me 
for many years now and still leads me to this day that my life before that night, my memory is not so good of it. Um, I get flashes of five and six years old and things like that from time to time. But I've got friends and family that, you know, remember their childhood all the way back to three and four years old and all the cool little Christmases they had. And they have vivid memories of this childhood. Mine are 80, 90, if not more percent gone that night. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I don't want to say a rebirth because that's a bit cold and well, a bit yeah, far-fetched. Yeah. But something happened to me. Something in that thing, and I don't know if something, and I use that with the big quotations, mm-hmm. caused that to be that way, or was I meant to eventually unlock this and I just happened to walk into the right place? Call it fate. Call it, I don't know. Um, well, it's funny just, because we have those experiences when we're young that really stand out, and it's usually something either extraordinarily joyful or something you know, terrifying or tr- or dramatic or traumatic. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, and and those memories retain that the the vividness um, over so many years. Um, it, so now now that you're you're grown up, you know, you've you've accepted that you have you know this sort of vision or ability to to see and uh, and I believe you can hear things too, right? Yeah. Um... Here's another complex thing with me. Um, I, and I don't mean to knock anyone's beliefs, so I mean no offense to anyone that may be listening to this show that has some sort of ability or knows someone that does, but this is just coming from me and my personal view. It has nothing to do with no one else, about anyone else, only me. Um, But I have heard of people talking about that have this psychic or mediumship that they're and there's all these different terminologies like clairsentient, and, and I don't mm-hmm. know all these words. But what, what that means is, is that some people hear stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, as their like, ability. Some people see things as their ability. Some people have premonitions. Um, some people have a telepathy sort of conversation with spirits, um, and that's their primary thing. Um, well, but you do have, have a, some kind of clairaudience, right? Right. I, I have a dose of all of that, okay. uh, all of that phenomenon has happened to me intermittently here and there. And I, I like to assign the blame, and again, quote, unquote, blame to the spirits. They seem to choose to me how they want to go about it. And I don't know if other people that have this, that, you know, that they hear stuff and that's all they're, they're capable of doing. Maybe that's their design. Um, and, 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 and I guess in some ways, if I were to be honest, I would say that's kind of neat because you wouldn't have to deal with all of it, you know. So um, that's just me. I, I, I'll leave that at that. Just say that I have a touch of all of it. All all those things have happened to me. I have figured out where some of my strengths are, and they aren't in that category of what type of way can I communicate. It's types of spirits that I can identify some faster right. than others. So and, well, when you when you take all of these when you take all these abilities and you walk into somewhere is it usually because someone reaches out to you and says, "Hey, I need somebody to check this out. I'm I'm scared or something weird's going on here." <clears throat> okay. So it's been a lot of years and and about the time that I met Ken Terry, I was morphing out of 
where I'm going to start. Um, I was part of a lot of paranormal groups in which we did what you would basically see on the, the, the ghost hunters and that sort of TV shows where you, you, you get a phone call from a client and the client says, Hey, I'm scared. I have a ghost and these are the things that happen to me. And then someone would take all that information in distribute to the team. Whoever's in, you know, the, the lead person, in the team would be in contact with that person. You go there, you set up a lot of equipment, as many cameras as you had available to you audio devices, all these sorts of scientific equipment, and then you would conduct a, a nightly investigation, sometimes longer than that. Sometimes you're in sight a couple of days. And then when you're, when you're done with all that, all this, all this equipment collected data, and then you would go back to where it is that you're from, and you would go over this data, and uh, you would pick out the anomalies out of it, and then we as a team would get together, decipher all those anomalies, and then go back to the client and do the, you know, the reveal, if you will. This is what we found. This is what we think. And here's what the evidence showed us that it seems to be what, you know, you have. Now, what I found was the issue with me the whole time with this ability that I have is that most of the time I found that the client called us with a ghost problem, and they didn't really need us to do all that to tell them that they had a ghost. They knew that already. We did that just to tell us we have a ghost. And then most of the time being part of the team, that was kind of where the adventure, quote-unquote, you know, kind of ended. And I was never happy with that. I was never satisfied with that. I felt like this person called us, and we didn't give them any sort of closure. What we just did was for ourselves. And not for them. And although the person that called us entertained that for us. So I ventured away from that and I found out that this, this thing that I have does not correlate to scientific equipment very well. Um, I've been very helpful in investigations of being able to tell them things that they can later ask the spirits and they get data, they get EVPs that are absolutely on point to the things I was saying, which is Mm -hmm cool confirmation for me, but um, I want to figure out how to help people do what they really, really called us for, which is solve the problem. And um, so I don't do the investigations anymore. I don't own any of that equipment other than a couple little pieces we we have from time to time, broke out a few things in order to try to make contact with whatever's there that... And there's various reasons for that, but that's a minor part. You know, our investigation as the team that I'm part of starts when we make the first phone call. And, and it continues to we enter the door or wherever that place that we're invited to. And then we go through those motions to help that particular client, whoever it may be, get the closure that they need. And that can be various ways that that happens. But there we are. So well, you know, we what is the... Um... What is solving the the problem? Because let's say you you go in, you um you know gather information, you hear, you see, you feel, um. But how does that solve a a lingering ghost? It depends on the person that lives in the house what they want to do with said lingering ghost. Um, we've had clients that are totally they call us out and say, hey, "I've got a ghost problem. I don't understand that the things that are going on." We're like, "Okay, come make contact, walk in the place, feel the." Fill the area out. Uh, I call it my my organic radar, so to speak. Go through, and I can fill the house, fill off the walls, filling around, and generally I can pick off where the spirit is in the place, and then start mm-hmm. to read the spirit or communicate with the spirit, whoever it may be, 
But we had some clients that we walked into those houses, filled the ghosts, and it's, I'll use a four example scenario here. So I'm going to give you a story, but in this moment, it's a made up story so you can understand where I'm getting at. Um, sure. Say we go into this house and this lady calls us. So this lady calls us and we show up and, and we'll read the place and she's moved into this house, but the ghost that's in the house identifies himself as the guy that built the house 100 years ago, and he's been in the house the entire time because he loved this place. He died. He came back here as a ghost, and, you know, he doesn't want to go to heaven or wherever. You know, he wants to be here, and this is what he had the availability to do, and no one's tried to stop him, and here he is. And here she is in the house, and, you know, he pokes fun at her from time to time. Well, and she's scared because he does that. Well, then I communicate with that spirit using this ability I have to have that direct line of communication and I tell enough and I've actually had this happen this has really happened um, I tell that spirit you know you realize you're scaring this person and she has me here because of that and uh, he's like well she doesn't want me here because I scare her and I don't want her here because I just don't I'm like okay well what if we can make some sort of compromise if she allows you to be here and you stop scaring her, and then she never sees you, and you just avoid her, problem solved, right? And the ghost is like, maybe. So I go to her, and I say to the living person, hey, you know, this ghost is the guy that built the house. She's like, oh, well, if he'll just stop scaring me, I'm cool. Okay, hey, would you stop scaring her? And he's like, sure. Our work is done because he stops. She doesn't see him anymore. They coexist in the house, and she's fine. Some clients don't want it that way. They want the they want the ghost gone from their house. They want it to go away. And sometimes we have to ask it to go away. Sometimes is we that, have to do other things. You know, there, there you go. Yeah, is that is that how it works for you? It's a, it's like a conversation. Mm, yes and no. Um, if you want to get to the technicalities of it, I mm-hmm. have the hard job. These spirits come converse with me several different ways. Sometimes it's been open conversations through a form of telepathy, so to speak. Um, sometimes it's picturettes. Um, I've had ghosts communicate with me in a mind's eye set of Polaroids before, flipping through them like a photo album, and have to decipher what each card means, each picture means. And that's really, really not too bad if whoever mm-hmm. the spirit that is there is related to the person that's living, because that person has a relationship, so to speak, through a you know common family, yeah. and I can say things that make sense to them. That doesn't work very well when these two people, one the dead one and the live one, never knew each other ever, and one does that, because I can't say anything in those picturettes that make any sense unless that person's uniquely involved in the history of that home. So there have been some challenges when that that comes to speak. So just leaving it at that, yeah. Yeah. So when you see those visuals, is that like interpreting abstract art? I mean, how how difficult is that for you? Sometimes it's near impossible. Um, huh. Sometimes I've had to actually speak to the ghost because they can hear your voice. Most of them, if they're sentient and they are not some sort of residual spirit, you know, being. Because they're all mm-hmm. residual energy that happens, and there are spirits that have existed in places before that are like a broken piece of art in time that, you know, this this entity moves through a house, 
and it never responds to anybody. And even me, I can sense that that happens, but I don't sense any intelligence from it, and I can't get whatever it is to communicate at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's like a broken record, so to speak, but in the fragments of time. So to, I've never quite understood how to define that. I just know that I can't do much about those things because there's not anything there to work with. Um, so, but if they're sentient, if they are intelligent, and that's when personality comes into play, um, and I have to work with these spirits. You know, if I don't understand these picturettes, I could, you know, push the energy back at them and go, I do not know what you're talking about. You, you're going to have to help me figure this out. And mm-hmm. sometimes they change their forms. Sometimes they keep on the same track. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, I've worked cases before that, at the end of the particular night, I've had to take the responsible role and say, I don't think I'm your guy because I can't figure this out. I don't know how to communicate with the spirit. And then I've had some friends that have a similar ability to me and I've called one or two yeah. of them out and they, they had the mindset to figure it out. And then, but you know, them. I so mean, that's, that's the end game. Do what? Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that, that attitude too. And, and I guess, especially since you're not, and it's not. I'm not saying this is true of everyone else who's doing it um, as a living, but the fact that you're not doing it as a living, um, you're not necessarily motivated by money to come up with an answer when you don't have one. No, no. That's another reason. Is uh, back to that. Whatever assigned this to me did it. Didn't charge me for it. Um, now, in some ways. <laughs> monetarily did not charge me for it. So, and I've never felt right charging people for it. Now, I do always leave the door open. I've always tell people, because they ask me, like, what does this cost? And I tell them, nothing. I don't need anything from you. And I've had clients before go, no, that's BS. We're not going to operate like that. You can, you spent your time. And I've drove four, six, eight, 12 hours before to cut cases. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Took a flight well, across like, the like, pond, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's like. That's on my know, time and my coin. But this is this is my life mission is to go out and help them people. I, I, don't, I don't come into those things with these people that need my help owe me something. I, I don't want to do that. It's also good for mindset to – I feel like you do your best work when you feel like you're doing it for a reason outside mm-hmm. of the mundane, so to speak, if that right. makes well, sense. Mike, I, I, it totally makes sense. And uh, I, I appreciate your work, and I know Ken Cherry always appreciated – um, your work and your abilities, and you know, uh, just you know, you just seem like a good guy. You seem like a really nice guy, and uh, you know, mm. you know, if I if I needed a good investigator, I'd definitely call on you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, but I, the thirty minutes have flown by so fast, I can't believe it. So, um, yeah. I'm sure there's so much more that we can talk about. So let's maybe, if you're open to it, do it again sometime in the future. Say when we'll do it again. I'm good with it. All right, nice, Mike. Thanks. Um, and actually, people can see you in action um, if they go to Epic Voyagers on YouTube and then just type in scenes from beyond the veil. And there are a few videos of Mike um, doing his thing. So, Mike, thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thank you very much. Right. Have a good night. Yeah. You too, brother. Have a good Thank night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. All right. Now, moving on to... The Geek Sessions Solo A Star Wars Roundtable. My guest, um, as usual, is Mac Barnes, a.k.a. the Star Wars Encyclopedia, and Drew Powell, 
<laughs> True pal, who you can hear laughing in the background, um, is also an encyclopedia of his own um, as far as Star Wars goes. Um, one of the two of you guys have some background noise going on, um, so just be aware of that. Definitely not. 100% not me. 100% <laughs> not me. Yeah. Yeah, nope. it, it was me. I, I walked into uh, my brother's bedroom, so I'm good now. All right, nice. Well, so we're kind of morphing the Paranormal Now podcast geek sessions into a into the live format. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar with that because it wasn't really part of the regular programming for a while, um, just give us some feedback. Let, let us Sorry. know what you think. If you are a huge Star Wars fan or if you are a hater of the new Star Wars franchise, feel free to, to call in and, um, and sound off or ask our panel questions. Um, to call in, you can call 657-383-0829. All right, so Solo, A Star Wars Story. Uh, we may drop some spoilers, so this is a major spoiler alert, although there are a couple I'll of things. I'll try my best not def- to, buddy. I'll yeah, there, there are definitely to. a couple of things that we will not uh, reveal, but just to be on the safe side, um, this is a spoiler warning. Fair warning. Okay, so let's start with uh, Andrew what was your take of Star Wars, um, the new movie Solo? I loved it. Honestly, overall, and then it was like a complete, complete 180 from, uh, from what was it, Last Jedi, the one that I hated so much. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I just <laughs> find it really interesting. I find it really interesting that a lot of people are resistant to see the movie and like the people that, that don't want to watch it, they, they all have like their own reasons, but they're all pretty ridiculous. A lot of them go back to Last Jedi. Some of them seem to be a little bit political. But uh, either way, man, it's a great movie. It's a great Star Wars movie, and I definitely put it in the top five overall. Yeah. What about what about yourself, Mac? I was pretty high praise there, I must say, Andrew. Um, but I, I definitely <laughs> agree with uh, like like usual about a nice seventy five percent of what Andrew says. I agree with. Um, <laughs> But we do have our uh, differing opinions uh, in some in some ways. So uh, one thing uh, I do I do think it probably makes my top five. It was a really well-rounded uh, movie for it to be a Star Wars movie, but not only a Star Wars movie, but an actual just a, a, a cinema picture, like a, a motion picture that is meant mm-hmm. to entertain me. It kept me enthusiastic and wanting to see more through the entire film there weren't any rough spots for me at all so like for me it was much more than a good star wars movie it was just a good motion picture good old-fashioned movie okay so let's back up a little doubt. bit the there was this online movement um and i guess it's still ongoing to boycott solo as a response to the vehement uh, anger by hardcore fans for the treatment of Luke Skywalker and a multitude of other issues in The Last Jedi. Um, and there, I think that that did have an impact on the opening weekend. I don't know how big oh, 100%. of an impact, but it, it did way uh, worse than any other Star Wars film. Um, it, I think it opened up it's with like shame, 84 man. million. Yeah, 84 million, and no other Star Wars film has ever opened up with less than 150 million. Uh, so you know, I think a message was sent to Lucasfilm, and I think that they do need to sort of revisit. Unfortunately, though, I agree, too, that Solo is a good film. It's a fun film. You know, it has its flaws, but, um, you know, poor Ron Howard 
and the rest of the cast and crew that was involved in that project kind of got, um, you know, uh, you know, they were the losers of the last Jedi and they had nothing to do with that project. Yeah, it's completely, it has nothing to do with it at all. And that's the thing, like, honestly, like my, my little brother, like, I'm like, Hey man, you got to see solo. He's like, no, I refuse. I refuse. Like, you know, last Jedi was the worst movie ever. I was like, yeah, I know, man, but you still have to see it. It's really good. I'm telling you, it's really good. It's just a shame, man, because it's, Honestly, I went and saw it again last night, and I was the theater was about half full, so I like to see that. But I could tell that everyone else in the theater definitely was their first time seeing it, and they all really enjoyed it, man. They really enjoyed it, man. And I, I enjoyed it the second time. I laughed out loud the second time. I did not have any moments like that during Last Jedi. I did not have any moments like that during Last Jedi. Like, after Last Jedi was over, I, like it hurt, it hurt my soul. After Solo, I was like, yeah, that was good shit. Right, I feel that. I definitely feel that. Uh, Andrew, do you have uh, scotch with you again this time? I'm sorry, say that again, buddy. We can't, we can't see your scotch this time. Do you still got your scotch with you? Are you still of drinking course, your black buddy, of label? Course, of course. Oh, I'm so sorry. I do actually today. So I'm actually drinking Woodford Reserve today. But uh, yes, that, that right. is what I'm sipping on today for this broadcast. <laughs> out, out of the Jar Jar Binks mug. <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, not not today. The Jar Jar Binks mug is not in use today. Okay. Not making so, full, not full making disclosure, full disclosure, full disclosure. But be, well, I will say this, though, because because we're not on, well, there's no video today, I am not wearing pants. <laughs> okay. All right. So back to Solo with Star Wars. No, just, you can not wear pants all you want, my friend. This is radio. And, um, yeah, so, okay, I, I do want to get back to, speaking of drinking and swindling, um, the character of Solo himself, there was a lot of trepidation about the representation of his character um, with bringing in a new actor um, as, like, an insult to, you know, Harrison Ford or George Lucas's vision or the Han Solo we fell in love with, and yet, I think he, I think he pulled it off. He nailed it, bro. He yeah. nailed it. And and with all due respect, Harrison Ford's like a hundred years old. They needed that. They needed to cast. They they couldn't have cast him to play with young Han Solo. So all those people need to go home. Like honestly, the dude nailed the character, yeah. and it was really solid. He even got the voice right, and it, it, it's it's really it's well rounded, man. It really is. Well, what what do you think this this attitude is of of fans saying, well, we didn't want a solo film in the first place. Why are they giving us a solo film? We didn't ask for it. Is that what, what kind of justification is that? Where are they coming from? I don't know. They tripping, tripping. Yeah, man, they're not they're not true fans, man. They're not true fans. Like if, if you're if you're a true fan, you're gonna see them all regardless, and you're gonna make up the mind for yourself. Like yeah, uh, we talked about you, it last time. Well, I th- I thought about exactly. this. I thought the Ryan Johnson he's he's gonna be doing his own separate trilogy, um, which is kind of happening like another part of the galaxy. Uh, I don't know, man. I think a lot of people would just skip his trilogy and just consider it not well, a part of the storyline. Especially if it was Probably. like his last movie. Like, let, let's be real. All right, so I'm just the, – the first thing on my list, buddy, well, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about – I love how these how the non-trilogy movies start with, like, no scrolls. I love that. You know, you get you get the uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then it just starts. I that love that. Hype. I love yeah, I, I love that a lot, man. I re, I re, and, and it's consistent with Rogue One. I didn't remember how it was in Rogue One, but I went back and watched the beginning, and it definitely is consistent. But, man, I love in this movie the diversity of aliens, man. Like, 
In Last Jedi, there was maybe three aliens total in the entire movie. Every scene felt like, you know, how Moss Eisley felt when you're watching that on film. Like, it felt like it, it was, like, in a different it's like a different part of the world, man. There's different yeah. species in every scene. Every scene had that, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved I loved Rio, the, the first pilot. I loved, like, I pretty much loved all of Beckett's crew. I, loved, I think they were all very solid, man. And it was, like, a great, like, role model for Han Solo, and I really loved, like, the, the little nuances they threw in there. Mm-hmm. Mac, I can yeah. Mac, what was your favorite aspect of the film? Um, that's kind of tough to narrow it down to just one, honestly. But if I had to just pick one, just because it brought me so much joy, honestly, was uh, the way on how he met Chewbacca. Yeah, agreed. So cool. Agreed, man. Off the hook. I, I one of the best parts of the genius. movie. Yeah, that was a genius. Like that. That is something that I can totally, like, close my eyes and, like, imagine, like, Chewbacca and Han would do something like that. Like, that, well, that's, I mean, a, that's a them thing. And it yeah. was so funny because it was, like, improv, like, on top of that. Like, he literally just decided, I'm going to try and attempt to speak Wookiee and hope this works out. Yeah, I, honestly, there's a lot of hatred about that online right now. And honestly, like... I love the like the bad reviews you read. Like I talk about this scene specifically, but honestly, watching this scene again, it makes perfect sense. He's not speaking perfect Wookie. He says he literally says, "I know a little bit." And honestly, he does. He does. like him exactly. speaking Wookie to, to, to Chewbacca is like me trying to speak to someone in Spanish with me doing like about two days of Rosetta Stone. It's like the sentences yeah. are completely equal. You also notice like whenever he was like trying to speak the Wookie, like. If you read the subtitles, like they were in like pretty much really bad broken English. Yeah, like it was like exactly. Chocolate. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah, That's yeah exactly what I'm yeah. saying, man. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think I think I think you're right, Andrew. I think people missed that he he didn't already know some Wookie. He 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 knew some broken Wookie already. Um, so that that's how he was able to jump in there. I I don't think he just improvised and like listened to what how Wookie no sounded. I mean, no way. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. So it's established I, no, I it was, like, I throughout it was the movie several times. Yeah, exactly. How he grew up on the streets of Corellia and pulled all these different jobs. And like has, he literally grew up on like the mean streets. And he learned all of these different things, met all these different species. Like it, it's really established. There's really not plot holes in this movie. Like there is yeah, in Last well, Jedi. It was written by Lawrence Kasdan and his son, um, who wrote, you know, Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire. So Without a doubt. You know, I, think, I think that's why there is this, this sense of, um, returning to the the galaxy far far away, it felt more like Star Wars than the Last Jedi did. A hundred percent, dude. A hundred percent. It really doesn't. I, w- I wish the people that haven't seen it go give it a chance because it's really good. It's really yeah. good, and you don't even you don't even have to like you you could watch this movie without having seen a Star Wars movie and still enjoy it. It's really solid. Yeah. Like, it, one of uh, one of my friends, Madison. Uh, when uh, my buddy and I went and saw it together on opening night, um, she said, uh, I can't go with you guys. I, I don't even really, like, I only know who Han Solo is because, like, he's a pop culture icon. Like, I don't even know anything about, you know, his story or I don't even know anything about Star Wars. Like, I can't go with you guys. I'm like, no, trust me. Like, this is going to, this is basically, like, his origin story. Like, everything that you'll yeah, need to know do will we. be explained. We don't really know too much either. Like, yeah, I was like, you should definitely come with us. And, like, I finally ended up, like, talking her into coming with us, and she had a ball. Mm-hmm. She thought it was amazing. 
Good work. Okay, so he- heads up, uh, potential potential spoiler alert. Um, how do you guys feel about L337 and what okay. she did? I got to say, I love it. And I, th- I, th- I wasn't sure about it the first time, but I got to say this. This is one thing that's consistent with every Star Wars movie that's ever come out. Like the main mm-hmm. droids all have their own personality. Every single right. one and every single movie have their own personality, and they're all completely different. And it's kind of like if you own a cat, man, like, or if you own a dog, like they all have their own personality. It's like, I, I think it's really well done. And mm-hmm. uh, furthermore, like how they went about it, like with, Land- Land- with, with Land- Lando and his whole character and how they portrayed it was a little bit weird for me, but I think it worked. But I definitely, I definitely accept the droid, and I like how, that, how it all ends up. I like how that, her story resolves. Well, I, I, I like how he actually had sentiment and feelings towards the droid um, L337 because, I mean, look, Luke Skywalker had a relationship with R2-D2. I mean, he cared about it. Without a doubt. I, you know, you can, you can feel that emote from, from Mark Hamill's performance. Um, so this idea that there can be, um, you know, emotional relationships between droids and also this, I, this always been a theme about one being under a repressive uh, regime, and two droids not having freedom. That was there from the first movie. Yeah. That was there from yeah. know, episode one. So I don't understand why it these worked, people are man. freaking out, saying it's oh my god, these social justice warrior um, memes are taking over. I, I think that's true in the Last Jedi, but in this film, I thought it was handled beautifully. Yeah, exactly. And, and humorous. It's, it's, not, it's not shoved down our throat, buddy. It, it, it's not shoved down our throat like it was in Last Jedi. And like, right. honestly, and if you, you got, anything about <laughs> Star Wars and like restraining both, you know, like it, yeah. honestly, if you're a fan of of the, of the genre, you like you'll love it, man. You'll love it. Yeah, and and what I love too is I I, I feel like Lawrence Kasdan was very aware of that when he wrote the script, um, and Ron Howard as well, because if you if you notice, and I'm sure you did several times where you know l337 got on her high horse you know lando would kind of give her this little snide look like seriously like you're gonna say yeah. that right now yeah, you know? it, it was it just brought balance it was brilliant they had a great back and forth and like like i said she had her own personality man and she she really had it i would say she i would say compared to the other droids you know we've known she had a bigger personality but i mean she was she was uh, you know she she might be too much for some people but I mean, yeah. she's a strong female character, man, and like I, I think I think it worked. I think it worked with the story. I, I think it really worked out well. I saw a meme Mac? the other day about uh, L three. Um, it it showed like uh, L three was the top image, and then the bottom image was like a gift, and it showed like the invasion on Naboo in Episode One, and it was like, uh, would she side with? Uh, would she side with um, the Republic or would she side with the droids? And I was like, yo, I don't know. She might side with the droids, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's in- that is interesting. It, it, it sucks because I really don't want to get into it without giving away too many spoilers. Let me ask Max something. Hey, Max, would you agree that this movie was Chewbacca's best Star Wars movie? Because I think that it was. I think it this was Chewie's be best either. work. I think it was Chewie's best work, yeah. man. Either this movie was Chewie's best work, or he definitely needs to get the Oscar for best Wookiee this year. He definitely need, he deserves it. Oh. It, it was a good performance, <laughs> man. It was definitely a good performance. 
Of all the Wookiees out there, Either. definitely. All, all, the other Wookiees in the film, though, that was awesome. I love yeah. that that we got to see other Wookiees, and it wasn't um, was cool. life life. It wasn't Happy Life Day from forty years ago. No, yeah. And it wasn't shoved down our throat. It was it was some good surprises. Right. Like I don't want to get into it, like how how it comes down, but like it was a good surprise. There's a lot mm-hmm. of good surprises in there. Like I oh, think man. I think it's a it's a great movie. But like if you're a fan, you're gonna like it even more because there's just like little pe- they just pepper it in. They just pepper it in throughout the movie. And after watching it again the second time this morning, like there there was more things that I did not catch the first time that are just hilarious and they just. And they play really well, man. They play really well. Since, uh, but my answer, either this movie was the best, it was Chewie's best work, or Empire. Because one of my favorite lines of all time, laugh it up, fuzzball. That, that, that's my favorite, that's one of my favorite Han <laughs> moments. Han and Chewie moments, more specifically. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, either this yeah. one or no, you're Empire. Right, though. Yeah, Empire, Empire he gets it in, man. When he freezes Han and Carbonite, yeah, like, and if he's, like, crying, that's pretty dope, man. That's, like, that's a moment. I definitely feel that. You're, that is killer. Okay, that, so, that, so would yeah. you agree top two? Top two Chewbacca movie, then? Top two Chewbacca movie? Definitely. Would you agree with Ar- that? Arguably right. number one. Fair enough, fair enough. There are two times, yeah. I mean, although in the in the Force Awakens, when Chewie lets out that, that bellow when yeah. Han Solo is killed. Yeah. Oh my God, man! That like. Yeah, but that, but that was that was like it. That was like his only moment. He he was not in that movie enough, enough. enough, and that's the thing. Like I feel like Ron got it. Like you you guys said it earlier. Like this felt like a Star Wars movie more so than any other than the the, the last two. Uh, what do we call those? Not prequels, post quills. What do we call them? What do we call them? Sequels. Post. Sequels. Okay, sequels. Sequels. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like this felt more of a Star Wars movie than any of the sequels. Can I mm-hmm. say also I love the band. I love the the band in like the the cantina scene. I loved it. Definitely, they are cool. That's just, that that was hot. That was hot. I gotta say. Okay, so um, potential spoiler again. So if you are hardcore, do not want to hear anything about the film that could ruin the plot. Tune out now. Um, so the dice. I ha- love I, have, I, have, I love the dice, but I'm also confused because my understanding is that Han Solo had the dice on him when he won the uh, what's the card match? Um, Savak. Savak, yeah, against yeah. Uh, Lando and won the Millennium Falcon. But I, but he he gave it away before that scene. So where are the dice? She gives she gives them back to him. Yeah, she, she did. Them back to him. Yeah, yeah, she gives them back to him when um when they're getting taken in when when they go when they go to Kessel and they oh, show, and, and then him and Chewbacca are in chains. Yeah, and she she punches him in the ch- she chest and she's like she creates a diversion like you know you fear a piece of shit. Right. But then mm-hmm. she she puts the, she puts the dice in his hand and then like he sees them and he's like he gives her this look like oh shit she loves me. And then he had the dice on him. The entire time he puts them, he puts, the the he puts them on the fall. He he puts them on the Falcon when he, when he, when it's time for him to step up. He puts them on there, and that's where they stay, and that is where they stay until until other until until further them. notice, if you will. But I guess the assumption here is that he just he didn't have them on his person, but the fact that he had his dice on the Falcon that that helped him win the match, I guess. 
I, mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it's just it, they're, they're lucky dice, man. And I think it's also it's part of like the relationship. Like you know, they passed it, they passed it through each, through to each other, and it, it kind of built, both saved them. It both got them out of that situation. You know, mm-hmm. it, w- without giving too much away, it got Kira out of her situation too. Um, we we don't know the details of it. You know, it, clearly that big reveal at the end is pretty is pretty serious. And oh my god, the fans will love it. The fans will love it. But I mean. It got her out of her situation. It got her off Corellia. The dice got her off, man. So they're they definitely his lucky dice. You know, they, they haven't they haven't brought bad luck that we've seen. So uh, were you, you happy know, I love, with I love the, that, they, that plays a role? Were you guys happy with the Kessel run? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, we really cool, don't know what it was. Like, we yeah, we just known that it was this thing. We've just known all the all these years that it was the Kessel. You know that. That Han's the fastest to do it in the Millennium Falcon. We never really mm-hmm. had any more details about it, so we kind of we kind of filled in the blanks on it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they could have done to make it better. I don't know what they could have done to make it like oh, there, there's a lot of things that go, there's a lot of things that go down when they're on Kessel. So, you know, my my, yeah. my emotions were elsewhere, if you will. Mac, what did what did you think? <sighs> I thought it was pretty cool, but like. I was always expecting that the Kessel Run was a name for a race. Like, I, I mean, I knew it was like a trade route, but like, mm-hmm. I thought that they, like, it was kind of like, okay, so like, you know, and stuff like Fast and Furious, or like, mm-hmm. anytime like cars race, they'll race down like a certain highway or like, you know, a certain like track, and the track always has like a name or something. Right, there's like, like that designated thought, place that's dangerous and risque. So that's what I thought the Kessel Run was. I was like, that's, you know, the tight turn, you know, on mm-hmm. the winding road. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I And I thought, like, he just, like, basically went faster than everyone else or, you know, beat beat someone's, like, previous time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, an actual race. We were going to see, like, everybody, you know, pretty much like pod racer style. Like, everyone's standing in front of a light, bam, bam. And, like, everyone was just going to, like, go and just, like, start, like, going into either light speed or, or just, like, racing side by side, like, you know, inner inner gravity, I guess, whatever. I thought it was going to be something like that. But, like, I mean, I guess to – I can see to, that. I can see, really, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, like, I, I totally I, wanted some kind of, like, dope race. And I wanted Lando to be in the race, mm-hmm. too, and, like, maybe some bounty hunters or something, like, maybe Boba Fett or something. Like, could have done something cool with that and, like, it, like allow, like, you know how, like, in the pod races, like, Sebulba, like, beat up on, I, this is my second episode one reference, wow, but, like, um, he just, like, Sebulba takes out you. the other pod racers and it's, like, dangerous and everything, like, I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. cool, we were going to get to see, like, bounty hunters and other smugglers and stuff participating and they were going to be able to take each other out and stuff, that was going to be cool. Well, I, I I think I didn't expect a race at all, um, so I, I was I had really no expectations. Although I have to say, from watching the trailer, I, I assumed that they were escaping or running from something, just the way they set it up. Um, you know, and then you have this this giant monster, which I guess you know would have served the role that you're speaking of. You know, this challenge, this danger, this something that's going to get in your way besides having to race. And I don't know. It didn't feel that threatening to me. 
Um, I thought it was exciting. It was it was fun, but I, I wasn't on the edge of my seat and really fearful. And I think that's hard to achieve when you know Han Solo, uh, Han Solo is going to make the castle run anyway. Yeah. yeah I, I, would, I would say that's like the one trope that like, you know, obviously, you know, uh, what's it called? The Force Awakens reference, you know, heavily to A New Hope and so on. And uh, I feel like that would be like the one reference maybe that there was, that there was like a shout out to like a past movie would have been that scene that you just referred to. You know, as opposed, you know, to the 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 joint that happens in, in Return Era Empire, when they're uh, my after the Minoc hunt, if you will, you know what I'm talking about. I feel like it's yeah. kind of similar to that. So I get I get what you're saying. Like there was like less suspense, but it was cool, mm-hmm. man. I I thought it worked. I I I feel like it didn't suck. Like it like the, there was nothing about there was never a part of the movie where I was like, oh, that was not very good, or like, oh, oh, I don't, I, I, I that, that, that 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 let me feel a certain kind of way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I pretty much enjoyed the whole movie straight through. Yeah, I Even thought the, the second time was really well done. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yep. <sighs> All right, so Mac, um, if you if you could guess why is the Millennium Falcon shaped the way it is, do you, do you think it's going to change? What do you mean, like from uh, from it, like well, it's having a, it's the a gas more... like in it? It's a more teardrop. It's it looks longer in the nose, um, yeah, than the original Millennial Falcon. So, are we expecting it to be repaired and look a little bit different? Is that is that what they were trying to do here? So I'm gonna say something really weird. So mm-hmm. both of y'all should be old enough and have watched Star Wars enough that you can p- picture the Millennium Falcon in your head. So just think right. about right. the ship. You know how like. All around the entire, like, outside. Like, imagine that the Millennium Falcon is a piece of bread. Like, you know how it looks like someone's taking the crust off of, like, the entire outside? Like, how it's, like, kind of, like, open? Like, it kind of, like, hangs out from the bottom and the top, and there's, like, space there in the middle? But, like, Mm. on the back of it where there's space is where the engine, but, like, still, all the way around it, there's, like, basically exposed innards. So I think what what's going to end up happening is they're literally just going to take like a giant whatchamacallit to it or like a giant blade and just like slice the end off a little bit. Like basically like, you know, curve up the back, just like, you know, literally like cut piece, like stupid. Like, I mean, if the nose goes out that long, I mean, if nothing's in the nose that's going to be damaged, why not just cut it off? See what I'm saying? Like, like just make the ship shorter. Right, well, it's like you should know it's cut that, a little bit shorter, what, what and then did. they're... Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. No, just say, when when he jettisons the escape pod, it it cuts out that tooth in the middle that, that mm-hmm. it didn't yeah. have when you first see it. So it changes it to that shape. And as we know, when he first mentions it in Star Wars A New Hope, he references the special modifications that he's made on it. So yeah. I'm sure now that he owns it fair and square, that he'll be... Uh, Pimping that ride up pretty good. Yeah, I, I think Heck it's yeah. really cool because I imagine that, I mean, that the Millennium Falcon took a huge beating in this film, more than any other Star Wars film. I mean, oh it was God, pretty yes. trashed. Yeah. So uh, my guess is that the next time we see Solo, if they do, you know, a sequel to this, that I hope they that do. Will, I hope that they will do. be the explanation as to why he modified it because it was so beat up anyway, and so he he took that opportunity to make some changes. But I mean, that's just a guess. Um, 
so what do you think about the relationship with, with him and, and Kira? Because um, this is not too many years away, well, about 10 years before he meets Leia. So you, know, you, ha- you have to wonder what happens to her character um, from now until then. I mean, because well, there, there's, there's, there's no sense that he has a relationship. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something there, but it's also like, you know, they both have their own thing going on. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think, you know, he's, he's a little more down than she is, but uh, she clearly has, she has a higher power that she has to answer to. And uh, the fans will be happy to see who it is. You know what's oh, really wild happy. that you uh, you asked me about this is we were uh, before I got on the show with you guys. I had just gotten back from eating dinner with uh, three of my friends. Um, they're actually in the other room, but uh, so but while we were in the car, one of my friends brought up this topic uh, and said, "Have you ever like?" falling for a girl or, or like, you know, messed around with a girl and you wanted it to be like so much more, like you wanted to like be with her. Like you're the, you were the one who caught feelings and like, mm-hmm. she just like either wanted to be like a one night stand or, or just thought you guys had like some kind of understanding and everything. And I was like, no, I've never been in that situation. Have you? And like, he's had a girlfriend for so long. Think like, I've never thought that like most of the time it's the girl that catches the feelings and, you know, the guys to like, you know, tell her that, you know, you know, he basically it was just a one night thing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like, I feel like that's what Han has. Like Han is the one who caught the feelings. Like, I feel like Han has like feelings. Like he actually loves her. Like he wants to be with Mm -hmm. her. And, like, Kira's more, like, chill about it. Like, she kind of wouldn't just mind, like, you know, messing around and then, you know, just going back to living their separate lives. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, yeah. That's what I think type they of have... vibe I got from their relationship. Yeah. They I have a history for sure. A... Oh, yeah, yeah. There must have been some sort of history, I think. Um, I mean, least, they grew up together. Know. They grew up together, you know. Right, right. And I think there's an emotional um, love and a connection between the two of them. You're right. It, it may not be romantic on her side, but she clearly deeply cares about him. She definitely, especially after the end, without giving too much away, she definitely, especially the end, uh, and seeing it again this morning, like she definitely cares about him. Like after 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 the ending of that movie, like you can mm-hmm. tell she definitely still cares about him. Uh, I right, think and that, so, uh, Andrew, if you if you don't mind my jumping in, I think this is a perfect example where we can compare it to the, the flaws in The Last Jedi. So, I mean, one of the problems that people have in The Last Jedi is that uh, Rey really doesn't have any inner conflict. And, you know, other than, oh, I don't know who my parents she's are. She's a hollow okay, character. But, she's very hollow. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't have the – she's not going on, on the typical hero's journey, um, you know, where she, she has to be challenged, walk into the, the darkness of the, of the abyss or – um, you know, emotional, uh, you know, ups and downs like Luke had. And Akira, I mean, they clearly set it up. I mean, her character is so much more complex than Ray's in just this one movie alone, and her role wasn't even that big compared to Ray in, in, in two movies back-to-back. Well, I, I agree, and I think she says it best when, uh, when she's reintroduced, like midway through the movie, when he's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like, how'd you get, Han goes, how'd you get out? And she goes, I didn't. And then she, then you know, she goes back to business. Yeah. 
Like I, I think that says it all right there, man. Like, you know, she's she she you know she clearly has her own motives. Well, she, I mean, she, at she, the end of the day, a... it's all about survival. It's all about survival, man. At the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. What's your Sorry, what's am I the, the only thing? one? Hmm? Am I the only one who thinks Kira is like hella sexy or what? Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones, dude? Dude, you're like, you're I like don't. Five, I'm six. so sorry. Yeah, well, okay, so you're like eight <laughs> years behind on that on that train, buddy. You, if you want to if you want to see her boobs, you can watch Game of Thrones. She's oh, okay, amazing. Okay, oh, right. Just, just so you, you guys know, we have for. we have we have men and women listeners and people of all ages listening. So <laughs> just keep that in mind as you continue no, the conversation. No, but no, like in all seriousness, though, like honestly, Amelia Clark's a great actress, and she's been. Like everyone that's a fan of Game of Thrones have been a fan of her since season one, man. So you're late to that train, buddy. Uh, but look, I mean, I think she was well cast, and you know, for you know, so many roles are cast because someone is handsome or someone is attractive or whatever. You know, that's part of Hollywood, and I think that you know she filled that role, um, and you know, had depth to her character, you know? And I, and I think that was really refreshing for me, you know, even, even Leia in the, the last couple of films, I mean, her, her role was better in the force awakens, but you know, I, I, I just kind of oh. felt like they, they left her character floating in the wind and really didn't, didn't give us the Leia that has like, you know, the, the gruff and the, um you know, the sort of depth that she had in the original films, but, personal opinion. I mean, I know other people feel differently about that. Um, so anyway, we can go back and forth and compare these films. And I, and I think that that's exactly what's going to happen for a while now and until Disney figures out what it's going to do. And I know that um, recently they've announced that they're considering backing off and only doing one Star Wars film a year. Um, I think they might think there's an oversaturation. Oh, no. Yeah, I think they think there's an over, there's an, might be an oversaturation of Star Wars films. But I think that's a miscalculation, and I think that Solo just opened on on the wrong weekend with the other Marvel films and Deadpool, you know, to contend with, and it followed the Last Jedi. You know, it just it got stuck in the wake of that that movie. Um, would you guys give think, Ron, Ron Howard? Would you give Ron Howard a chance to do another film? Oh, totally, hundred percent. Definitely. So I am that curious. Guy, I, he definitely knows what I, he's doing. I, I would be curious to know why the original directors were kicked off. Now, seeing after seeing the finished product, I would be curious to know, like, what the conflict of interest actually was, because quite frankly, I really had no problems with the movie across the board. Well, I mean, from my understanding, and to me, it sounds like the best, most reasonable explanation is that you know their style of of shooting and literally doing improv on set. You know, that's how they wanted to approach this film. I think the mistake that Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm made was they knew exactly how they filmed, signed them onto the project, and then were upset that their style cost them so much more money because it, it takes long to improvise and do, you know, shot after shot when you're dealing with, you know, techno, you know, pyrotechnics and um, huge set pieces and you know, I get special it. effects. I get it. So I, I get it because, I mean, if if their style is improv on set, that could at least double the budget. That w- that would be my guess. I love some good old improv, though, dude. Improv give, has given us in history some of the best acting ever. 
That's true. And what are you referring to? Anything in particular? I mean, nothing in particular. I mean, um, I mean just, one thing just I can think of in Star practice. Wars. One thing I can think Indiana of in Star Wars that I really, really like was whenever. Oh yeah, Indy is a lot of improv. But one of I think my favorite uh, thing and the only thing I can really think of right now that's in Star Wars that uh, I know for a fact is improv is uh, mm-hmm. whenever. Um, what is his name? Jesus. I'm having a brain fart right now. Um, Job of the, the Heart. Uh, no, uh, Robot from Rogue One, or George from Rogue K2 One. God, a, I sound like such a noob right now. Yeah, K2. K2, a, K2, whenever he, like, slapped Cassie and Andor in the face. That was hilarious, dude. I cracked up in the theater. And I found <laughs> out later that that, like, entire, like, little exchange, like, the slap and telling him that, like, if he mouths off, like, he'll get another one was complete improv. I was, like, amazing. Just right on the yeah. spot. Just, like, thinking about stuff, like, doing things like that, like, right off. And, like, it was all – I think what makes improv so much greater is, like, whenever people, like, for instance, like, he probably actually connected with his face, and he hit him around, like, the lip nose area, which is a really sensitive place to get hit for human beings. So, like – he got hit by a backhand, like, right there, and he just stayed in character. He didn't – he wasn't like, oh, really, or something like that. Like, he just went with it. Action. Like, some, Action. Yeah, it is so amazing. Like, I love when people just, like, stay through the character. Oh, oh, I have another improv moment that I really love. When Leo DiCaprio didn't mean to uh, – in uh, Django Unchained, when he didn't mean to crush the glass in his hand, and, like, he was actually cut, and he just kept going – and he, like, smeared, like, his hands all over uh, one of the um, one of the house slaves, like, face. Like, just, like, completely took his real blood and just, like, smeared it all over her face. She had no clue that was going to happen. That was wild. And that's how that actor got hep C. So just, I don't know why you're talking about it. It's still too soon. Um, I mean, it's still crazy. Yeah. It's definitely risky. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Hey, Max, what did you think about the Yo. Extended Universe references? Like, um, what did you think about finally finally hearing out uh, the what happens to R.S. Singh after all after all this time? You finally what hear out hear uh, R.S. Singh. Uh, or Singh. Yeah. Yeah, that was, pr- that was pretty wild. I mean, like, whenever they make references like that, they're just now, like, since they're putting it in a movie that's going to be canon, like, they're just canonizing stuff. So, like, whenever I heard that, I just immediately, like, etched that in my mind that, like, that was that was the rest of her story. Yeah, and so, I, I like, liked it, man. And I, I, I really I really love, like, there, there's definitely references to several bounty hunters from Extended Universe that I really enjoyed. And, like, it, you know, as a casual fan, you may not have got them, but, like, if you read any of the books from the you know from the past, man, like you're gonna love it. I love like the Terracosi reference; like it was awesome. And did you guys notice um, some of the Easter eggs in the film, particularly the uh, Crystal Skull? I yeah. did not see that one. I did not see that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I think. Am I right in in both the Indiana Jones films, um, or at least in the Star Wars film? There's there's always some reference to one or the other. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there is. I didn't, I'm, I'm I don't sure there's think all kinds of things that we didn't even was. see. I was about to say, I've, all, I've only seen it one time, dude. Like, I've really kind of been lacking. I, I've, like, every time we talk, I know I say this, but, like, I've been, like, hardcore adulting. So, like, I've been really well, busy. Good. 
Welcome to adulthood, my friend. (laughs) And you can only say adulting because you're young enough to say adulting. But when you get older, don't don't keep saying adulting. I mean, you can, but... (laughs) It is a all <laughs> uh, uh, from Mac. All out from Mac. Yeah, Mac, go for it, man. Do your thing. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do want to. I do want to point Lady out Proxima that looked like a penis. What? Yes, there was actually quite a bit of. There was some criticism online. I I, I saw that it was like it was a little bit too. That's uh, what I would say about that. On I the head, she but, looks like like. Literally, well done. We'll leave it at that. But yeah, I think yeah, it worked. I, but though. I think that I mean it worked. I don't. I don't think. I don't know if that's where they actually wanted to go, but I guess people may have thought that that's some sort of, you know. Well, I'm glad she wasn't human. I'm glad she wasn't human. I think it would have been if she was a human. I don't think I would have liked that. So I'm glad well, that they, they decided like, to make a choice. Oh yeah, that would have been like Jabba the Hutt, you know, originally. In, in, in the, in the, yeah, in, in the black furry trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. He was Irish. Really he, was, he was Irish. Han, Han, it's not good business. Yeah, that shit was awesome. Can you imagine <laughs> if that was canon? If Jabba the Hutt was, <laughs> was a fat Irish dude in a, in a black furry trench coat? Amazing. Amazing. I mean, he he worked confidently, though. Yeah, he, yeah that actor was good. That, that actor would have been great on Game of Thrones. If he's still alive, he should definitely uh, they yeah, give him a funny. role right now. Um, I, would I, wanted be great. Up, I wanted to bring up the fact that I really do feel like this film had heart. Um, I feel there are some moments that were emotional that I I did start to tear up a little bit. Um, oh, without I, I a doubt, that, it was good. I thought that he could have he could, Ron Howard could have lingered on those moments a little longer, just give me a little more time to process. You know, the I think it's pressure from it. the studio, buddy. I think he had pressure from the studio, kind of being like, you know, you got you gotta like, you gotta make going. it more lighthearted. I I, mm-hmm. I think if, if if Ron had his brothers, he would have made it, you know, he he would have milked it a little more. Because I agree with you, mm-hmm. man. There was definitely a few moments where you're like, oh man, that's serious business. And then they just move on to the next thing, pretty pretty fast. Yeah. Which I get I get for the pacing in the film. Um, I just thought there were a couple moments if they was just giving me like literally five or ten seconds more to digest what just happened, I think it would have helped. But uh, I, I was emotionally moved. There was depth in this film that I, I, I simply did not feel in The Last Jedi. Uh, Without a doubt. And, and here's the, the tricky thing about The Last Jedi. Um, unlike this film, many people came away from watching The Last Jedi the first time saying, yeah, I liked it. It was a good film. And then later kept thinking about it and then went back and saw it again and came back thinking, what the heck? You know, and it was almost like The Last Jedi tricked you. And I think it did it because it was beautiful on set action directing, uh, beautiful cinematography, brilliant editing. And I, so I think in a way you were sort of dazzled. Um, but it doesn't feel like and, a Star Wars film. But it doesn't feel like a Star Wars film. Yeah, where this film. I think that anyone who walks away and says, I like this film, they're not going to change their mind a month from now, a, a day from now, or, you know, years from now. I think it's, it's, it's simple. And like you said, Disney wanted a film, you know, that, that people could get right off the bat. You know what kind of film you're getting into, you know, which, is, um, which was not true of the original Star Wars film because it was original. When A New Hope came out, we didn't know what this film was. 
But after that, the next two Star Wars films, you kind of you knew what you were getting into. You understood this galaxy. You felt it. You know there were overarching archetypal um, themes and memes that that we've learned over the years through mythology and religion that were put in there, and very subtle um, political but broad political um, metaphors. You know, not outright statements and hitting you over the head. Uh, like the last right, like the last shot, over the top, I, man, over the top. Yeah, of it. yeah. So, I mean, Mac, how, me how do you feel about how do you feel about like the the more political politicized aspect of the Last Jedi? And do you think that's something that can survive in future Star Wars films? Um, you know what? Like, I'm a very progressive thinker, but I think I'm going to speak for the majority of Star Wars fans. I don't really, I don't really think. I, I I respect Star Wars as a platform, as a brand, as a franchise for putting social issues and things like that in their movies. But honestly, like right now, like or a lot of it with like L three with like you know feminism and like basically like equality for like droids and like basically you know in a in a sense liberation. And, like, I get that that's, like, a big issue right now, like, in 2018 and probably still be – will be in 2020. But when I show my kids this, uh, these movies, like, all of them, and we're watching the more modern ones, the ones that were, you know, ten year, made 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I'm showing them when they're, like, 10, and they're hearing, like, this female droid just keep talking about, like, just social – like, pretty much equality and things like that. I guarantee you, son or daughter is just going to look at me and be like, Daddy, why do they keep talking about non-Star Wars stuff? Like, especially because I'm going to show them to them in order, so they're going to know how Star Wars movies are supposed to be. Star Wars, I think Star Wars is such a big universe itself, it honestly should just leave Earth. Like, there shouldn't be that many references. Like, I get they have to speak English. I get we have to state that things are like cars and cups and things like that are universal. Mm-hmm. But, like, when we get to the other world, can we just, like, pretend that everyone loves each other or yeah. everyone hates each other, which is what we see in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Either everybody's really happy and everybody loves each other or they're at odds. Can we just have people, like, hate each other for who they are and not for what they look like or for, you know, what their sexual stance is? Like, I mean, I don't really – like, I get enough of that in, like, social media being 20 years old. I'm subjected to, like, a lot of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, honestly, I think that's one reason why um, I, my dating life and things like that are so, are being harmed right now. It's because of the, the power that the media has right now. And, like, another big thing is this whole, like, Me Too movement and everything. Like, my stepmother has talked to me, like, three or four different times about just, like, just being extra careful around women and, you know, talking with women and just – all of that. So, like, I already get enough so much of the social issues and, like, the racism and all that stuff that's happening in our world now. I get so much of that crap, like, in my reality. At least let me, when I come to a Star Wars movie or when I pop one in my Xbox and decide to watch it, I just get to escape for two hours, two and a half hours, and just go to, like, a world that I originally fell in love with whenever I was six years old, seven years old, and watched Star Wars for the first time. Like, that's just yeah. all I want. I just want to escape to a universe that is all its own. Yeah, yeah but the thing is, you're wrong, though, buddy. It's not, it's not a female thing at all, dude. Like, 
first of all, droids don't have a sex. Like, they, they may have, like, a female or male voice, whatever, but, like, that's, it's about the droids being free. It wasn't about females being free at all. Like, you're blowing it way out of proportion, and that's, that's, like, one of the things that I was talking about where people don't want to see Star Wars because it's, like, a political thing. It's not like that at all. I think the way that it's portrayed in the film, it, it's not shoved down anyone's throat, and it's not – it's literally – she just liberated the droids. And it wasn't, and it was more than anything, just a diversion so they could escape. It wasn't anything else bigger than that. Yeah, I think. So I think th- what, what th- we're th- th- talking th- about th- here is it was like oh, so about Me Too movement is is what's way mm-hmm. over the top, man. It's way over the top. Yeah, and I and I think that's also because the the media sort of um, has hyped that up a little bit as well. And look, if we didn't have the Last Jedi, I don't think we would actually be having that conversation. I think that the Last Jedi stirred up. So much of that um, as a resentment against the story writing that we were hyper aware of anything that is similar to it in Solo. And like, like I was saying before, I mean, the original Star Wars film did touch on these issues. You know, I mean, at, at the time, it was very progressive to have a, a character like Leia. Um, you know, I mean, people think, oh, really? But yeah. I mean, think about in the 90s having someone like Scully in the X-Files, a lead female, um, a very strong character, intelligent and tough. I mean, that was, that was revolutionary and that was only in the nineties, you know? So, so George Lucas, you know, he was doing things, but what he wasn't doing was beating you over the head with it. He built it into the story. So humanism has always been a part of star Wars and he set it up from the very beginning in a gal, like you said, Mac, in a galaxy far, far away, we're supposed to feel like we're escaping somewhere else. You know, we can walk into the theater and let go of all the day's drama and let go of, you know, things that you hear on the news all day, arguments that you had with people. Just let it all go and have this space western mythology, you know, and that was what's so brilliant about it. And as soon as we start getting away from that, that's when, you know, these issues start to pop up. Because she, you know, L3, she, even though she was doing free the droids, free the droids, you're free, run. It was all humorous. You know, it was, it was like, it was serious, but, but, but humorous at the same time. Um, so I, I think that, I think that that is um, important to, to notice and how they found the balance. Too. She, she literally says it flippantly. She frees the first one so it will get out of her way. And then they're like, oh, and she's like, you're free. And she's like, what should I do? And she's like, I don't know. Go, go free, go free your friends. And that's literally all right, she says. So like, to blow it out of proportion and be like, it's a Me Too movement. That's that's way over the top, man. Way right, over you're, the top. You're not you saying you're not, you're not, Andrew. You're not saying that the Me Too movement is blown out of the proportion. You're you're saying that the perception no, I'm that saying, that's I'm, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying to, yeah. to equate the two is silly. Like. Mac is getting all bent out of shape about it, and it's not even like that at all, man. It's not about that at all. You're talking about how your kids are going to be like, why aren't they talking about Star Wars? Well, they are. They're droids. They're droids that are freeing themselves. What, what is not Star Wars about that, bro? You need to check yourself. No, Mac, I wasn't equating, I wasn't equating like, the Me Too movement to that, because the Me Too movement is women coming, about, coming out about being sexually harassed or taken advantage of by men and it's just women like basically compounding when one came out the next told her story and so on and so forth 
that has nothing to do with Star Wars at all. I was just saying that, like, right now, like, it, like, it, it, things like that have impacted my dating life because now women are, I feel like, more scared than ever now to be approached by men because we stress so much, like, such big deals about, like, stranger danger and, you know, like, basically men are sexually and mentally, like, emotionally abusive, like, but that that's aside from the subject. Like, what I was saying is that, like, I feel like social issues are literally polluting every walk of life. Like, I get enough of that in my reality. I have to hear about this crap, like, every day that I walk on this earth. But, like, when I watch a Star Wars movie, I don't want to hear anything about, like, you know, racism or sexist or anything like that because I feel like in a, in a galaxy far, far away, in the original three movies, since everyone mm-hmm. wants to bring those up and say those are the best, you know why far those are the best? Because you don't see a single social issue in there. That is literally an original story that is made by a genius man about amazing characters. Well, and just like, ma- that ma- is ma- literally it's, it's, it's the same. Th- it's the same thing, dude. It's, no, just I just want to clarify, please, because it's very serious what I just said. You're okay, drawing a minutes. parallel. No, yeah, but you're drawing a parallel. I, I could honestly draw a parallel very similar to anything from the original trilogy, and you know that is that is that is God to me. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a holy trilogy man all the way. But like, it's not it's not a social issue at all, man. Literally, the droid freed freed another droid. That's all it is. That's there's nothing more Star Wars about it. There's no social issues. Media and yeah, you I, are blowing it way out of proportion, dude. That's all I'm saying. Done. Yeah, I think it only. I mean, her whole sto- character. Her, her whole character was just, like, I mean, an empowered woman. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, like, I, I'm all for, like, you know, but so, equality so Leia when she came out and, of like, yeah. all of that. Oh, yeah, but, like, I don't know. I see, I, like, this makes no sense because this can't be racist, but I feel like I'm annoyed because it's a droid. Like, I get mm-hmm. if you want to make a strong female character about it because Ray's that way. Leia's mm-hmm. that way. Jen Erso is that way. None of them bothered me, but when we get a droid that literally, like, we have a droid, pardon my French, that bitches. Like, I don't want, like, I love droids. Like, why do we have to have one that, like, literally, like, (laughs) talks about not being loved or, or, like, showing enough attention? Like, is literally the most needy droid. Like, oh, like C3PO? Like C3PO? C3PO literally has done all of those things. and every movie anyway, guys, is very needy. Guys, we're we're coming I'm not up to the end. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get cut cut off here soon. So I know you guys are Star Wars brothers with love, and it's got a little bit heated here at the end. So um, no uh, we'll have to pick no it up need. another time, and we'll take it. But yeah, but, you know, interesting. We're all talking about these things. Star Wars never really did that. Um, it talked about spirituality before. That was the the what it dredged up. Anyway, that's it. We're going to have to cut it off here for now. Um, this is Alan B. Smith for Power Normal Now on the... We all hated uh, that, Jetta. We all love Solo. Network. Thank you, Max, so much. And uh, thank you, Andrew, again for coming on. Love you guys. Love you. No problem. Love you guys. All again, right, we so hated Last Jedi. We love Solo. Go see it. If you're a fan, go see it. If you're not a fan, go see it. Solo's awesome. That's it. Solo is awesome. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us on Facebook, Paranormal Now Radio, and at Paranormal Now on Instagram, and live in the mystery. We'll see you next week, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be well, everyone.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.